We have been dealing with the tabernacle. We are going to continue in that this morning. We will either finish today or next week, and I suspect right now that it will be next week um, that we will conclude this series that we have been in called Destination of Worship. And um, so I'm very excited about what the Lord has for us today. In fact, I picked up my notes during worship And I read a couple of lines in my notes, and I just felt the anointing of the Lord over what he is doing as we come to the uh, concluding weeks of this series uh, in terms of our own understanding of where worship is supposed to take us and where we are supposed to arrive when we are in worship. And so um, they're going to put the picture of the tabernacle back up there for me, uh, probably about three frames in. Uh, to that set of uh, pictures, and uh, we are going to look in the Word of God together, all right? You recall in this uh, series, we learned early in the series that God instructed Moses to build the tabernacle, and he told him to use the exact pattern that he had shown him. That's the one I want. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> he told them to, uh, to build the exact pattern. Uh, our approach to God Uh, in the tabernacle was established after an eternal pattern from heaven. And the eternal approach to God is the exact pattern of the practice of heaven. That pattern that we've been given in uh, the tabernacle experience is the pattern that is used in the approach to God in heaven. And uh, I'm going to just share some things with you today. As we've gone through all of this, uh, we've gone through uh, the outer court and then on into the uh, tent of meeting here where the candlestick and the table of showbread and the uh, altar of incense is. And we discovered that that altar of incense, that where the prayers of the saints are offered up with incense before the Lord, is the altar that sits before the throne of God. And uh, it's been a great discovery as we've recognized the things that we are, we are uh, doing as we approach the Lord. But this morning, I want to talk to you about uh, a little bit more about the mercy seat right there in the most holy place as you go through the veil and uh, you approach God. Uh, this, is the, this is the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, in or the ark, the, the scripture calls it uh, the ark of the testimony, which is really a, a terminology that I like better. Uh, it depends if you're talking about the covenant, then, then I like it to be called the ark of the covenant. If you're talking about the testimony of, of the good news of God, if you're talking about the things that he's done, if you're talking about the issues of remembrance and the things that are supposed to put a solid foundation under our, our life, uh, then I like to call it the, uh, the ark of the testimony. So today, for our purposes, that, that is what it is. And uh, we're going to talk about what that, uh, this week and next, probably what that testifies to as we approach the presence of God. But uh, let me take you to Exodus chapter 25 and verse 17, and we'll start there with the mercy seat. The mercy seat is actually the lid that goes over the, the box there, the ark, and on that mercy seat there are the two cherubims, and you see that smoke going up. Uh, in the evening time, in the daytime, there was a pillar of smoke that stood there, and in the evening time, there was a pillar of fire that they could see that gave them light by night, and uh, <clears throat> that, that is where the presence of God for all intents and purposes dwelt. That is how the children of Israel were to approach the presence of God. The high priest went in there, and, and there God dwelt, and Moses stood in this uh, 
before the altar of incense, and God actually spoke to him from that mercy seat. And I want to talk to you just a little bit about that right now. Uh, He says in verse 17 of Exodus 25, you shall make a mercy seat of pure gold, two and a half cubits uh, in length and a cubit and a half in width, and you shall take, uh, make two cherubims of gold of hammered work. You will make them at the, uh, them at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make uh, one at one end and the other at the other end. Uh, you shall make the cherubs uh, at the two ends of it of one piece with the mercy seat. And the cherubim uh, shall stretch out their wings above, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and they shall face one another. And the faces of the cherubim shall be toward the mercy seat. And you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I will give you. We're going to have to talk about the testimony that God gives you somewhere before this is over. Um, you shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, put the ark, uh, put, put the testimony, put in the ark the testimony that I will give you, and there I will meet with you. And there I will meet with you. Hear those words. You're to put the mercy seat on top of the ark. The ark is to contain the testimony that I give you, and there I will meet with you. The mercy seat is the place from which God spoke to the children of Israel. The mercy seat was the place from which they heard the word of the Lord. The mercy seat was the place from which God chose to seat himself and express himself into their lives. This is the place where they were to expect to hear the word of the Lord. When you approach God in worship, when you come to this place that was up there a minute ago, uh, when, you, when you approach God in worship, when you come in through the veil and you come into the most holy place, there is an expectation that you will hear the word of the Lord. Did we not hear the word of the Lord in worship today? Did the Lord not begin to say to us, I want you to shout to me? Did the Lord not begin to speak to us, I want the mountain before you is like dust? I want you to speak to the mountain and I will blow up on it and it will be gone and there will be a path that will be made straight before you. I want you to know that any time, every time you come to worship God, you should expect to hear the word of the Lord. Every time. You come into the presence of God. When you go into the presence of God at home, when you're sitting in your chair and you have your journal on your lap, do not get up from that place until written in that journal is something that God says to you that brings hope to the moment of your life, that gives instruction to the direction of your life. You have a destination in worship and the destination in worship, one of those destinations is the word of the Lord. Every time we worship, I have an expectation in my heart. I'll be standing here and we'll be worshiping and there's something that begins to stir in me and I begin to say, Lord, what are you saying to us today? What are you saying to us right now about where we are right now, about what we're experiencing right now, about what we're walking through in this moment? What are you saying to us today? 
If your life has gotten to the point that God is not speaking a fresh word to you that confirms the word, uh, uh, that, that confer- can be confirmed in the word of God and that can be directed by the word of God and that can be enlarged by the word of God. If God is not in your prayer time and in your worship time reminding you of his word or, or refreshing in you his promise or encouraging you in the direction that he is leading you and the things that he's working out in your life, then you need to have a refreshing time in the Lord so that you can come again in worship and expect to hear him speak to you. Some people are like, I've never, I've never heard God speak. Well, I haven't heard him audibly yell at me like I yell at my kids. But I know when he's spoken to me. I know when I've heard from God because I receive encouragement. I receive strength. I receive a promise from him that can be found and confirmed in this book. God has never spoken a thing to me that I could not find and confirm in here. If he speaks something to you, or if you hear something, he wouldn't be speaking it, but if you hear something that cannot be found and confirmed in the foundation of this word, disregard it, it's not from him. It's easy to decide if you're hearing from God or not. God will never tell you, instruct you to do anything that is contrary to the foundation of his word. Never. So he says to uh, Moses in this instruction in Exodus, right about verse, I don't know how far down that is. uh, I will speak with you from the mercy seat. Now, When God says to you, I will speak with you, I I don't think God makes a mistake in the way that he forms his word. I I don't think he minces words. I don't think he says something uh, unintentionally. I don't think he says, I said this, but what I say this. I said this, but what I really meant was this, and I wish I would have said this, that. But God doesn't do that. So when God says, I will speak with you, he didn't say, I will speak to you. There's a difference between someone speaking to you and someone speaking with you. When someone is speaking to you, you shut your mouth and you open your ears. When someone is speaking with you, they speak to you, you speak to them, they speak to you, you speak back to them, and there is interaction and an exchange within that it becomes a conversation. What God is saying to you, when you come into my presence, one of the destinations of worship is to lead you to the place of conversation with God. I think a great many believers today are waiting for the word of the Lord, wanting to hear God speak, but they never have a conversation with him. And I think that it is one of the greatest weaknesses within the body of Christ in our generation is that we are not conversational with God. God can handle it if you say something to him and you're wrong. God is listening in on your conversation pretty much all the time. You know how I know? Because I've experienced it. 
I've received his correction. Because I, because I was trained to hear the word of the Lord as a child and because I was trained to listen to the voice of the Father because I better listen to the voice of my Father. Parents, you want your children to listen to the voice of God? You better train them to hear your voice. If you never train them to listen to you and to follow your instruction, they will have a very difficult time walking with God as an adult. You better be, uh, listen, that's a hard job. It takes a lot of consistency. It takes a lot of effort. You'll probably cry a lot of tears. It will bring you great frustration at times in your life. But if you do not teach them to hear your voice, they cannot grow up and know how to hear the voice of God. They'll just hear voices from all kinds of places. You better teach them to hear the voice of God. And the way you do that is you teach them to obey your voice. They learn to trust the voice of God when someone that loves them can give them instruction that they can learn to receive. Then they learn to know whether that instruction is coming from a place of love or a place of destruction because, they, because it's been cultivated in their life. So, so that's how it was in my life. And, and uh, God speaks to me. I've told you this before. The Lord speaks to me very sternly. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that, that my father spoke to me very sternly. He didn't mince words. My sister's sitting over there. She'll say amen really loud in a minute. But I remember as a young man, I've told you this story before, I remember as a young man, I was driving an ugly car, and I was trying to go to Bible school and work and help at home and do the things that young men do as they're, that, that, that time between the time that, that you become 17 or 18 years old up to 21, 22, whatever, that's the hardest time, especially in a young man's life. It's the hardest time in, in a child's life because they are not quite yet full on mature, but they're trying to be. And they think they are. Mom and dad get smart somewhere around 29 or 30. That's not in scripture, but uh, sure was that way in my life. Gee, he knew what he was talking about. But nevertheless, I remember coming out of, uh, out of church and a bunch of my friends were going to go somewhere and I, and I just declined to go. And the reason I declined to go is because I uh, didn't have any money and I didn't want to go and sit there and have water and visit with them in Denny's, you know. Because uh, my friends, we, in, in the church I grew up in, everything was a sin except going to a restaurant. So we'd go and sit there for hours and visit. So you had to have money because you couldn't go to the show and you couldn't go skating and you couldn't go there and you couldn't go there. It was all wrong. So, you know, we don't, we don't live that way, thank God. Been there, not going back. But nevertheless, but by the way, if the Bible says it's sin, it's still sin. So don't confuse the two. Anyway. Uh, where was I? I come out of church and, and I had sent all my friends on their way and, and they were going down to the restaurant to get an ice cream or milkshake or whatever and I was grumbling on my way to the car. I was doing the murmuring thing. And I said, Lord, I don't have, I, I, I don't have a nickel. You ever had that conversation with God? I'm a starving college student. I'm in Bible college, and I'm working, and I'm, you know, whatever. And so I was having the woe is me conversation with God. And I, I'm in the church parking lot. And the Lord says, I open my car, and the Lord says, clean out your car. Clean out your car. So I'm cleaning out my car, 
and I turn over the floor mat behind the driver's seat, and there's a nickel. And the Lord says to me, I don't want to hear another thing about it. Now, that's the way he talks to me. He probably won't talk to you that way, but, but that's the way the Lord deals with me. And it's far more than once. I can tell you story after story how that the Lord has dealt with, but I've learned to hear his voice. And I picked that nickel up and put it in my pocket and said, thank you, Jesus. What he was saying to me was, I supply all of your needs. I take care of you. So maybe I don't want you having an ice cream at the restaurant tonight. I'm ordering your steps. Maybe I don't want you on that boat. Maybe I want you in that other nation. Maybe I want to maneuver you. And, and believe me, God will maneuver you with finances. If you will trust him, he will move you from place to place and shift and adjust you. It'd be a whole lot better if we could go to the Lord and we could pray. I wish I was spiritual enough to just go and pray and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, listen, I don't want you to get on that boat. I want you to go to Finland. Well, then you'd pick up the phone and call and say, Nettie, I know this is the plan, but I think we're going to deviate from the plan just a little bit and do this, this, and this. And everybody walk in peace, but we're, we're, not, we're just not there yet, I suppose. I don't know. Be really great if we could if we could learn to walk with the Lord that way and I do believe that we need to learn to walk with the Lord that way in the day that we are living in listen listen and God graces you for the moments that you are in he, he will grace you if you will trust the Lord when you approach him when you're going before the Lord in worship that is a time to tune your ear to hear his voice so that you'll know his voice when you're out there on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and there's something going on the Lord says don't go in that bank right now Don't go down that street right now. I do believe we need to hear from the Lord at that level. I do believe that we need to train our ear to hear from the Lord at that level. When Benjamin and I were in Estonia, and we were lost in one of those old cities, and the streets are narrow, and, and, and we were, it was getting dark, and we were supposed to be at church, and it was getting late, and, uh, and we were there at the time when there's only five, six hours of daylight, and then it's dark the rest of the time, and, and so we're driving, and it's night, and we're praying in this city, and I said, Benjamin, God knows where that church is at. So let's ask the Lord. So we prayed and said, Lord, where is that church that we're supposed to be at? Help us to find it. And we're driving up and down the streets. Benjamin's like, well, I think it's over here, but now I'm all turned around. Maybe it's over there. And just follow whatever the Lord says. If, the Lord, if you feel led to turn down the street, just turn down it. Let's go. And so we're driving, not aimlessly, we're driving purposefully, asking the Lord, where is the church that we're supposed to minister at tonight? And he says, now I want you to pick up the phone, and I want you to call our, our host, his name is Timor, I want you to call Timor, and, uh, and, and tell him that we're a little turned around here, and see if he can give us some instruction. I pick up the phone, the phone starts ringing, and I'm sitting there waiting for Timor to answer, and Benjamin says, we're there! Right about that time, time where it says hello, and I said, I just called to let you know we made it. <laughs> and Benjamin stopped right in front of that church because the Holy Spirit knew the whole time where it was. And we just need to tune our ear to hear his voice. Well, worship, one of the destinations that you have in worship is that in those moments in the presence of God, you are tuning your ear to hear his voice. 
I am absolutely convinced that during worship, without any prophetic word at all, that God is speaking to individual hearts and He's talking to you about your individual situation and He's talking to you uh, when you're in a financial difficulty and He's talking to you when you have a child that's in a place of frustration or a place of rebellion or a place of sickness and He's talking to you whenever you're going to an employer who's very unhappy and things are difficult and He's talking to you at all times and the Bible says that if we lack wisdom, we're supposed to ask of God who gives liberally and withholds nothing. But he says we're to ask in faith, nothing wavering. And I believe that when we're in worship and we're standing in the presence of the Lord, we're standing in that place where there is no sickness. We're standing in that place where there's no disease. We're standing in that place where there's no lack. We're standing in that place where all wisdom and understanding flows from the throne of God. And there we have our answers. It's called the mercy seat. And God said to Moses, I'll speak with you there. Now, don't be surprised if you say to the Lord, Lord, I don't have a nickel. And he says something like, clean your car. I don't, sometimes the answer the Lord gives me makes no sense to my natural mind. He has given me so many answers that make no sense whatever to my natural mind. But at the end of the day, when it all comes out, I have my answer, and I have understanding, and I have wisdom that's beyond my own capability. You'll have wisdom that's beyond your own ability to understand, your own ability to figure out. I tell you over and over again, I could not have planned my way to, to get to the results that we've had in our life and to the blessing that has been produced out of our life. I could not manufacture. Only the word of the Lord can produce that only listening to his voice and doing foolish things that no one understands. Listen, when I heard, I'm going to, can I tell stories? I don't know. I just hear the Lord saying this, reminding me of this. I do not know what possessed us other than it was the word of the Lord that we knew that we were to return to Fresno when we were in the desert. And when we begin to talk about it, and when Bishop says to me, what are you going to do if you can't, if, if you can't transfer on your job? And I said, well, then I'm, I'm just going to come because that's what we've heard the Lord say. And Laura and I had a conversation. We have, at that time, four children, a mortgage, and a car payments, and, and whatever families have to survive. And we looked at each other, and we said, we didn't have anything when we, when we started out, and the Lord can give us anything back that we lose, but we're going to obey him. We didn't lose our car. We didn't lose our house. We didn't lose any kids. <laughs> Tried to a couple times. <laughs> People won't take them. It's just amazing. <laughs> but I want to warn you. This is what we will deal with today. I want, I want to give you a warning related to the word of the Lord. When God was speaking to John in Revelation chapter 10, he gave him an instruction that we need to hear related to the prophetic in particular, but related to the word of the Lord. Even this, even the printed word of the Lord, even this, this Bible, the written word of God, when God gave John this instruction in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 10, he was getting ready to unfold to him the mysteries that are in, in the book of Revelation. 
He was getting ready to show him the bowls of wrath and, the, and all that stuff that many of you read and you're like, this doesn't make no sense to me. I don't get this. Okay, when, when he was sharing with John, he said, John, here, here's a little book. I want you to eat it. And when you eat it, it's going to taste really, really good to you. But when it hits your stomach, it's going to be bitter. And I want to help you with something. Listen, this will help you in terms of maturing in in, in relating to the things of God. Listen, the the word of the Lord to to Laura and I, when when God said, I want you to go back to Fresno, the word of God to, to, to Laura and I, that was sweet. Man, we were, hallelujah, we, we finally understand what God has been saying to us. Our season in the desert is over. Praise God! And the word of the Lord was sweet in our mouths. But in carrying out the word of the Lord, we come back to Fresno. We have innumerable challenges. We put our stuff in storage, four kids, our stuff's in storage. We stayed with her mother for a few weeks in a little apartment trying to figure out what we were supposed to do. Let me tell you, there were some seasons when it did not taste so good. We wondered what was going to happen with our house. I was six weeks waiting for a job. We wondered what was going to happen with our income. We wondered if in six weeks we were going to have enough to put gas in the tank. We weren't sure. We had, we had no assurances. We were walking according to the word of the Lord. There was nothing else in front of us but the word of the Lord. There was an entire season where the only promise we had to hold on to was that we looked at each other and we reminded each other that God said do this and that if we would do this, He would take care of us. We knew we weren't going to go hungry. We we, we knew we weren't going to sleep on the street. We knew that God was going to help us figure out and find our way, and He did. But there was a season where the word of the Lord was not so sweet. And sometimes I wonder why people want to hear a prophetic word. It just kind of puzzles me. Because I know from the time that it's expressed to the time that we can say that it is fulfilled, there is going to be some bitter seasons of process. And it's in those seasons of process that, the, that we in our immaturity get frustrated and we begin to bring uh, murmuring before the Lord, What are you trying to do in my life, O oh God? So he says to John, he says, I'm going to give you this little book and I want you to eat it, but, and it's going to taste really wonderful to you. Well, what you're tasting is the fulfillment. But what gets in your gut is the process that you have to walk through. So part of approaching God and coming before the mercy seat and positioning yourself to hear Him and opening your ears to hear Him and having an expectation and an anticipation to hear Him is wonderful and it tastes good and that experience is exciting and the corporate experience especially when I'm telling you I worship the Lord alone and I worship the Lord all the time in my car and and in in my chair and wherever I'm at there's a song going forth out of my spirit to the Lord but 
but none of it is as fulfilling and none of it, none of that is ever quite the same as that corporate experience when we're all together and we're worshiping God and God comes in and he speaks. There's greater strength in that corporate expression. There's greater wisdom in that corporate expression because I don't have the whole counsel of God. But when we're all together and I bring a part and, and Becky brings a part and Benjamin brings a part and Pam brings a part and so on, each of us bring a little part and song of the Lord bursts forth and there's some prophetic expression, then we get the whole council, we get the big picture. Today we got the big picture because worship led us into a particular direction and then God began to lay things in to that direction so that we understood. And he said, I'm, I'm flattening out the mountain before. You just blow up on it, it's just dust. So God preached to us before I did, and before Pam did, and before Benjamin did. But there's always the word of the Lord. When we worship, we're coming to the mercy seat, and in that environment, God desires to speak. And if you're going into environments for worship where God isn't speaking, you need to revisit what that environment is producing. If worship isn't producing hope out of the word of the Lord, if worship, then, then press in a, a little more and become more determined about, uh, about your worship experience. Part of the problem, can I, oh, I'm going to get pastoral. My back is here, I'm worshiping, I don't see who comes in and when they come in. But worship is designed in, in uh, psalms, they call them songs of ascent. Worship is designed to take you from a low place to a higher place. The, the temple was on a mount, and they, when they were going to worship, their worship began uh, down here. Not when they, they, they didn't start, wor they did not start worshiping God when they got to the house. They started worshiping him on their way. There was, there was an expression out of their heart and out of their life. Those songs, the, the songs of ascent in the psalm were written not in the house of the Lord, but on the way to it. They weren't at the mercy seat yet. They weren't even in the outer court. Those were the songs that came up out of their life. They begin to declare the goodness of God. So if you're not cultivating a, a worship environment in your life on your way to worship, if you're not cultivating a worship environment, you're, you're, man, I don't know what was up with those people. Uh, they were just screaming and shouting and bouncing. I don't know what was wrong with me. Was I in the, was I in the right place? Was I in the right room? Am, am I even there? I, I'm, something must be wrong. I must not be so spiritual. It's not about spiritual. It's about cultivating an environment on your way to the corporate experience. There is a song of ascent that needs to come out of your life, that needs to declare that God is faithful, that he's watching over you. Those aren't deep, terribly deep words, particularly in those songs of ascent. They're just shout to the Lord. He's merciful. He takes care of me. He likes me. It was a great discovery when I found out God actually liked me. I lived in, and some of those old Pentecostal churches, they taught you God was mad at you. All the, yeah, see, yeah, yeah. See, you go to one church, they're like, God is good. 
Then you go to another church, God's mad at you. No. You know what? When God was mad at me, Jesus went to the cross. He took out his anger on Jesus so he didn't have to be mad at me anymore. Now we're back at the brazen altar. But anyway. So he says to them, he says to John, take this little book out of the angel's hand. I want you to eat it. I'm going to speak to you. And I'm going to tell you, most of the time that God has spoken to me, tasted good immediately, got bitter later, before it tasted really, really good again. The only way for you to have longevity in your walk with God is to understand that. We live from the taste good to the taste good. Come on, that's, that's the way our culture lives. And when we get in those valley experiences where it does not taste so good, and where the word of the Lord becomes bitter to us, that's the time when in our nature we want to go hide out and pull back. And really what needs to happen is we need to get up to some, up next to someone who just got themselves to the taste goods. You following that? Whenever I'm in a place of difficulty and when I'm in a place where the word of the Lord has produced a, a season in my life, the word of the Lord has produced a season of difficulty in my life. Did you hear? that? I did not say that by accident. Where the word of the Lord has produced a season of difficulty in my life. Most of the seasons of difficulty in the life of the believer, if God's ordering our steps, then most of the seasons of difficulty that we're facing are produced out of the word of the Lord or the tension that it creates. The, the, God told, uh, God told uh, da- Daniel, thank you, God told Daniel, the day that you prayed, I sent the word, I sent the promise. But there was a warfare around that word. So the moment that you ask for God, something of the Lord, he sends the promise, but then there's warfare around that word. And when you get into that warfare season, we're like, oh God, have you forgotten about me? On the contrary, he's fighting for you. And the way to give that process strength to overcome is for you to continue to hang on to that promise and say, this is what God has said to me. This is what God has said to me. This is what God has said to me. And those angels are fighting that battle for you and the angels of the Lord are moving and camped around about you and moving in your behalf. And and it looks dark and it looks like dreary and it looks like it's never going to be worked out. But just like in the darkest moment when we couldn't find our way through that little city, we pulled right up to the place that we were destined to be because God was going before us and making a way. We have the picture, I'm just preaching right past the clock. We have the picture in the New Testament when Paul and Silas were in jail. This has become a real revelation in Pam's life. She talks about it. You should let her share that with you sometime. When they're singing at midnight. Jail for them, the jail in those days was in the sewer. You following that? They were chained up. Some of those, the worst of them, were chained up in the sewage of the city. It was a mess. 
But nevertheless, in their case, whatever situation they were in and whatever level of prison that they were in, they were chained up in prison. There was no hope, no way out. And they begin to sing at midnight. And I believe it's time. I believe it's time for the church in our generation to begin to sing at midnight. I believe it's time for the church in our generation to begin to raise up the praises of God in the middle of the turmoil, in the middle of the sorrow, in the middle of the sickness, in the middle of the frustration, in the middle of the, the trial. It's time for us to raise our voices and to begin to sing of the faithfulness of our God. And in the midst of singing, of the faithfulness of our God, the chains will fall away, the prison doors will open, and you stand up, rise up, and walk out. It's a mercy seat. We come with the expectation that we will hear Him speak every time. Every time. Let's stand together. Sobra sopra I believe you ought to pray in the Spirit right now.